We're back at It Starts Now, the happy hour finance and business. My name is Stanley. For you guys that are new to the channel, I like first of all, I'd like to thank you for stopping by. And for those that continuously support us, I just want to say uh, thank you as well. And for you guys to please continue to share the com content, uh, like, subscribe. Uh, this will help us to continuously bring you guys some amazing people with amazing stories to share. My guest today, Dre Manning. Now, let me give you a quick background of Dre Manning. He has a new clothing brand. Cool. What he has going on right now is the brand is new, is part of a school initiative, uh, donation. is really a good cause, is, is out there to support a lot of um, education. They just had a soft launch recently, and we just like to introduce him and talk about everything that he got going on. He's also a co-founder of um, uh, two other media companies that are doing very well so please before we continue to dive in let me introduce my man dre manning welcome dre how are you doing? thank you thank you so much for having me man i'm doing wonderful i'm just you know i'm happy i'm able to be here today to talk with you you know just about the things that i have going on and to learn about you and you learn about me i think that's that's like one of the most beautiful things with, with communication and just technology right like the ability for us to be able to do this right now absolutely and for us to do it in a uh, you know, sometimes being home, you feel like you're confined and you can't really communicate as much. And having this technology and having this uh, opportunity to reach out to different people and network, you know, I think that's an amazing thing. Uh, it keeps everybody in touch, right? Sort of like, uh, that's why I think that Clubhouse is making a good push right now is because uh, the audio and the communication, but everybody all in one place sharing thoughts and ideas and then, you know, piggybacking off of each other. And I think technology has taken us that far. So that's a great thing. Yeah, it just allows people to communicate. It feels like one big house party, right? Like Absolutely. You know, <laughs> like, you know and yeah, it's like one big house party and just being able to connect, especially with what's going on right now in 2020, 2021. Um, just this, the, the not being able to connect and have like, sometimes in some people's cases, not only human interaction, but adult interaction, like outside of their their spouses and their siblings who may be adults as well. Mm. So I think, you know, just things like this clubhouse, uh, they just allow us to connect and realize, make us realize even more how important it is to interact with people. Right. Because I think we were going down this tunnel where we spent so much time glued to a phone. And I think COVID and, and this pandemic has allowed people to say, Hey, I think I want to talk to people mm -hmm. and not just stare into my phone all day. That's a valid point right there. And we do that a lot. Uh, one, one of the habits that I I found myself um, getting out of where I broke the cycle, I should say, is having my phone with me 24-7. And one of the things I, I saw, the benefit to that for me has been the ability to get, first, number one, I get some more rest because I'm not on my phone. And, and, and it's unbelievable when you think about it, how, how many people take their phone to bed with them. And the moment I stopped that, I was like, all right, I'm not no longer distracted. I'm not getting those notifications. I'm actually getting some quality rest that's needed for me to actually function for the rest of the day. And, and when I wake up in the morning, another thing, another benefit I found about it is not having your phone attached to you. Like I, put, I place it in a different room. So when I wake up in the morning, I still have an hour to myself before I get distracted or uh, all these other things that comes along the way and I'm trying to pull out fires 24 seven or even just getting distracted. Cause 
ESPN is a is a it's a bad tool for me because then I, I like to keep updated. Yeah. I don't watch as much games, but I like to keep updated. Same here. Same here. Uh I, I've you know, one one of my habits that I've developed uh was I, I record everything onto my phone. So like my mantras, my goals, everything is there. And I did that was because a friend of mine told me, let the first voice that you hear in your mind be your own. Right? Oh, I like that. So what I do is when I wake up, I'm in like complete silence. I give myself about 20, 30 seconds just to sit there and calibrate. And then I get up. Um, I go start like my morning routine, brush my teeth. I got my ear pods on and I'm listening to my mantra. Then I'm listening to my goals. And but it's my voice. And, you know, I might even like listen to it while I'm scrolling through ESPN. But that's also the last time I check ESPN for the day. I right? like that. So like, like just. That having these particular habits allow me to still do some of that. Like I was looking, you know, like with iPhones, they tell you, you've had this much uh, screen time this week. You know, I'm looking at like four to five hours of screen time a week. That's not bad. It's not bad at all. Mm Because before I was averaging like 10 to 15 hours a week. That's a big, that's that's a big cut. Yeah, and it was all because like I, I just told myself, hey, I'm gonna pay attention to this content in the morning. Um, and then later on in the evening, I'll just focus on other things that you know that nourish me. So like I'll read a book, or I'll hang with my kids, or you know, maybe I just want to unwind and I I might just play some Call of Duty, right? Like just something that allows me to decompress and just kind of relax. Let, let's um get right into it. I like what you're doing with the brand. Uh, I think it's a, a great cause and a great initiative and talk about the soft launch and but before you do that talk about what what was the inspiration behind creating the 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 nine brand yeah absolutely so um the nine brand is you know this hat and apparel brand that i'm launching uh i'm the sole founder of the company um and it was something that I knew I wanted to, I wanted to start another business venture outside of my media companies. I just didn't know what I wanted that thing to be. So like I looked into beard palm because at this time I had like this really nice beard and, you know, I, I, I looked into um, wave grease and combs and different things that was kind of like low maintenance um, and wouldn't require me to be full, fully involved in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing some research, like I, at one point I bought some beard palm, some beard oils and all of that stuff from like, uh, um, a company in Texas where you can private label the products and things like that. I bought some, it got here maybe like a month and a half later by then I cut my beard off, <laughs> <laughs> completely cut it off. They had no way of testing the product to see if it was going to be any good. And then I started to really think about like my values and who I am as a person and um, starting a company for me, isn't just, Oh, I'm starting a company to create um, another stream of income. Yeah. That's part of it. But the other part of it is how am I impacting the people that's around me? Mm -hmm. Right. And how is this company going to impact the people around me? How is this company going to be bigger than just me? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So 
once I, I I was really just like, well, you know, uh, with the beard palm, with the beard beard balm, I don't really see how this would align with me as a person and my values. I had to take a step back and go, well, what can I do that once again is still really like kind of low maintenance, doesn't require too much of me for um to do, but there's some type of impact I can make with it. And I was literally standing in my bedroom, staring at a mirror, and all of my hats were right next to them. And I'm I have like a bunch of hats. <laughs> like I have a bunch of hats, right? Because I mean, outside of this, I'm bald headed. So, you know, you don't want to go outside un- unprotected, you know, like there's no hair up there to protect right, right. the sun. So I'm always wearing a hat um, and I'm staring at these hats and I'm like, wow, I'm always wearing other people's hats. I'm hmm. never wearing, I, it's my hat because I purchased it, but it's not my hat. It yeah. does like, I'm always wearing other people's hats. And I said, wow, that's it right there. I'm going to start a hat brand. And then I started to look at like snapbacks and fitteds and beanies and um, brimless hats and like all of these different types of hats. And I said, you know what? Let's just order them all. So I ordered all of them different hats, right? And then I was like, all right, I only like snapbacks. I only like how they look, right? Mm-hmm. But then the, the part for me was now what's going to keep me motivated to do this company? And initially I was like, wow. You know, the biggest issue right now when I look outside is that there's no parks, right? And in the parks that we do have, they're just like filled with like filth. So what if I partnered with organizations to do neighborhood restorations, right? So like we're going into parks and we're fixing up parks. We're putting hoops on the court. We're we're repainting the the, the basketball courts. We're um, fixing the slides. We're repainting those things. And then I was like, you know what? When I was a kid, I had community centers too. My kids don't have community. Like, yeah, there's, there's after school programs and CBO. It's limited but, right now. But it's limited, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, what about all of these like community rooms that are just empty and like the buildings, the management is like charging thousands of dollars to like rent it out per month. But what if we just turn them into community centers? All right, cool. Let's actually start looking into not only park restoration, but how can we rebuild these these community centers and open them back up for after-school programs that are outside of the school building, for um, enrichment programs for children. Um, That was the, that's still part of the plan. That's still part of that five-year plan to make that happen. But I I had to take a step back and go, well, what can I do right now? So the first thing, so, you know, creating the nine brand was the easiest part. Creating this actual company was the easiest part. The hardest part of this entire process was figuring out what impact are we going to make and how are we going to go about making it, right? Um, So now it was like, all right, cool. We can't find organizations or we're struggling to find organizations that deal with like community restoration. What's something else that we could look at? Um, Last year when a pandemic hit, I did over 300 Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. Right. So like in my like all on my social media, my nickname is Zoom Call Poppy. Right. Like, so like because I did so many of them. So uh, but when I when whenever I was on any of these calls, whenever I was stumble while I was reading something on screen or while I was talking, I would go part of me. I went to public school mm-hmm. and I got a laugh out of everybody every single time I did it. Like no matter what part of me, I went to public school, part of me, I went to public school. And that's when it clicked. I went to public school. Wow, the two things that made the connection. The, right. the hats being on the wall and you staring yeah. at it. Mm-hmm. And then the other aha moment when you realize that 
listen, I went to public school. This is where I need to put my effort to. Yeah. And and just like, you know, I have I have I have four sons. I'm a I'm a proud dad of four sons and three of them go to public schools, but they're fortunate to go to public schools that are 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 well off. Like they they're privileged. Well to, graded. Huh? They got a high grade. Um yeah. 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 Right? So like but you but they're surrounded by schools that don't have a high grade. Yeah. And then, you know, not to cut you off, I'm sorry. I didn't realize the grading system until I got a lot older. And you start to realize that your neighborhood does pay, play a big, important role, a big, important impact on you growing up. Because if you're in the wrong neighborhood, um, you got to look at what's around you, right? Your surroundings. And one of the things I realized was once you once you're graded, once that school is graded, it really ta- it, it doesn't really necessarily change. It's the people who have to go in and make the impact on that school. Because the school's already been graded, there hasn't been that great of a performance. But now it takes the community to help build that school, so that way you can change. But that was interesting. But go ahead, and I'm sorry. Yeah. So just recognizing how my kids like they they go to these schools and like they can go on trips, and we don't have to pay extra money for them to go on trips. Um, they're able to experience so much, like just different enrichment programs. But then. Regardless of that, my children are my children. They were going to be fine whether they went to these schools or not, right? Right. But then thinking, like like you just said, you are you really become a product of where you're from. And the one thing, like, if we talk about, like, equity and inclusion, the one thing that really doesn't have a, a real conversation around us, we're not having a real conversation around us, access. We can include these children. We can build equitable systems for these children. But the reality is, is if they don't have the access, and a lot of these times access means money, what is it? Why does it matter? It doesn't matter. They can't partake in it anyway. Oh, we mm-hmm. gave them the opportunity to sign up for a program on financial literacy for kids, but they couldn't afford the $350 for the program. Sure. Right. So it's like, yeah, I know their parents have to figure those things out. But imagine if Jamal could get a grant or could be part of a grant program where uh, his his cost is covered. And now he learns about stocks at 10 years old and here he is at 14 trading stocks right teaching his little brother teaching his dad teaching his mother his uncle mm-hmm. he has changed. a whole impact on the house exactly he just changed the trajectory of his entire family mm-hmm. right so that's what we aim to do was to create this grant program that not only are we giving you money but we want to know where this money is going and how it is going to enrich the youth around you. COVID taught us one thing, and that was skills are going to take you far. And if you're lacking skills, you're going to have a really big problem. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you touched on that because one of the things that I shared with the team was, it's not that the skills, the skills that you have, well, it depends. You're absolutely 100% right because you're going to need to acquire skills, but you're going to need to acquire new skills at that too. Because the same old skills that got you before COVID, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. then it won't take you that that far after COVID. Because things have changed right now, and yeah. and the internet made it so. Especially if if you're gonna introduce what's coming up in the you know, blockchain and everything that's where they're trying to do hand in hand. We're cutting out the middleman slowly, mm-hmm. and we're getting more into vendoring. Well, okay, I can directly go to you if you have that certain skill set. But if you haven't, if you, COVID happened, what, 
or is still in the process of a year. And if you're having to develop a new skill set within that year time frame, then there's a chance that you may get left behind because uh, so many people are developing their skills. Now it's more so because the job's going to be limited. It, it starts to come down to the quality of the, the skill set. And that's when and that you got to train the kids and to be not necessarily be extremely competitive, but have to understand that the quality of skill set is going to have to improve because it's going to narrow down to who could do it the best and who you're willing to pay for the best. So I'm glad you point that out. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it, it, all right. So like a lot of the things that I'm, uh, I do at times are kind of like a reflection of self. You know, I, I'm someone who I think everybody should go to school. Right. I think everybody should go to school. I think everybody should, but I also feel like everybody should figure out what's best for them at the same time. Right. So it's like, go to school. It might be the best thing for you. Try entrepreneurship. It might be the best thing for you. Try investment, but try something, right? And figure out what's the best thing for you. Do I think everybody's going to become a scholar? No. Do I think everybody's going to become an entrepreneur? Nope. (laughs) Do I think everybody should invest? Absolutely. But you might not be the greatest investor ever. You might just be a great employee, and that is okay. Um. But when I when I look at myself and I, I think about like how I had a, access to a computer in my household, like my mother did her best to make sure that we had a computer in the house and internet, even if we had to deal with the AOL dial-up, right? Mm-hmm. We still had internet, right? And we were able to do research. I'm and realizing like uh, my wife is reading a book called The Poor Privilege. That was me. You know, I was the poor privilege. Break that down. So pretty much is the poor privilege is someone who still lives in poverty, but has access to going to like private schools, um, additional resources, whether it's computers and internet in their household or um, being able to take trips uh, with their family, but you still are kind of living in impoverished neighborhood neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much who I am. And at times, my children could be viewed as that as well. You know, me and my wife are having this conversation as well. Like, we're not lower middle class anymore. We're, we're somewhere we've moved on up, right? And But we have to acknowledge that and realize, like, hey, there are people who don't think that they could ever get to this space. Like, they don't know, you know, that they can get to this level of access. Mm-hmm. So... But they, 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 this, in my, in my opinion, I think this mindset is built into them from childhood, because you see, you're pulling in so much. They talk about, we talk about so much how kids are sponges, children are sponges, children are sponges. Mm-hmm. So if they're paying attention to the same thing every day. They spend eight hours a day in school. When they go to school, they see the same person on the corner that when they come home. You know, they're seeing their parents, they're seeing their parents and how they're navigating. They're they're measuring themselves and deciding where do they want to be in life. You know, kids, kids pay attention to so much. And we both know this because we were both kids. Let's not even talk about it like we weren't kids. We were both kids. My mom was an avid cigarette smoker. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Right? Because I told mm. myself, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be this person who smokes cigarettes all the time. Yeah. I made that decision from like nine years old. I'm 34, right? So like 
just knowing that hey, our our children are paying attention to these things and they're developing. They may they might not be the adult decisions, but they're making uh, decisions, right? That hey, yeah. this is where I want to take my life, and this is the direction that I want to go in. So just being able to provide some type of support is what the nine brand aims to do. Yeah, one one thing I I'm glad you touched on was the uh, children do form of opinion, and it necessarily it's not the right opinion sometimes, but they still form an opinion because it's in their mind it's unbiased. They're just looking at what they see right in front of them. They don't have like context to it, so they don't understand. There's a reason why you know. Uh, your parents probably going out there cigarette, smoking cigarettes probably because they stressed out from the long day or this person is having a glass of wine because because the context is not there. They're just looking at the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And when they form that opinion, it's because they're trying to uh, sometimes they're trying to mirror that personality because that's all they to your point, that's all they see. Mm-hmm. And it's, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. I remember my dad used to smoke cigarettes too, and, and it, ha- it had such a disdain on me um, that I didn't want to do it at all. So I never tried a cigarette because I never felt the need. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that's um, something that the outside world, I think subconsciously growing up and seeing uh, or smelling or something, it triggered something enough where it said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, there was probably some other habits I picked up, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was something that probably triggered and said, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So you're right. Uh, children do mirror and they form a, a an opinion that is unbiased because they have no context to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, we we have to take the opportunity while they're there in the household to make it, even if you can't afford to do certain things, but try to give them a paradigm shift, like do different activities in the house or something that's that's going to energize or spark their mind so that way they could become creative. But one thing I've I've come to the conclusion that sometimes your childhood is is the reason why you you well, so some successful people, because when I look at Tyler Perry and I look at certain people that uh, go through a rough childhood, childhood, sorry, they come to become they create this imaginary they become more creative because they find ways to look at the world differently. And then, and because they have this internal um, battle that they have in within themselves, that they, they start to become so creative that they draw a whole different world around them and they become successful. So it's a combination of, of your, your life has an, having an impact on you in a both positive or negative, but it's also how you look at it growing up and what fuels you. What can you pull from it? Right? Is am I going to pull the good from this, or I'm going to pull the 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 negative? Um, so it's that's why you have to be on top of kids and really give them that love that they need and nurture them with the the positive and the um uh, all those good affirmations, um, positive image to keep them going because you you never know what the impact it, it has long long impact. And that's why I think it's important that some of us do go to therapy and try to figure out if we have some internal issues that we may not know about on the surface, but subconsciously it's just um, stopping us. It's blocking us from our blessing. But, um, but I like the fact that, you know, all that is geared, the nine brand is geared to really make an impact in the community and make an impact in the kids' lives. 
Thank you. And and I like that where the inspiration came from. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was like now we know the objectives, right? And what you're trying to gain out of this, right? But what's what's the ultimate goal for the nine brand? So honestly, like if we're looking at growth size, I'd I'd want the nine brand to be as big as a Tom's, as big as Bomba's socks, right? As big as those initiative-based brands. Um that you know, yeah, they have a because a lot of their model is like buy one, give one. Well, I know Tom's made the change in 2019 into a grant program quietly. A lot of people don't even know know that. They still think that Tom's is working with a buy one, get one model. Bombas is working with a buy one, get one model still. Um, ideally, my 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 overall goal would be for us to be as big as that because that makes the impact even bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Now we can say, hey, uh, instead of working with one school per year or one CBO per year, we're able to work with 60 schools per year or 60 schools per month. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and really, really make major change. Right. I think even even get into a space where our 10 percent like looks like, wait, 10 percent a year. What is that? Seven right. million. Right. Like like where's like, wow, that's like bigger than what it what it, what people would think it is. Right. You know. Of course, it being an apparel brand, do I want to see it grow? Of course. I want it to be like as big as a Supreme or a Rock Nation or even a, you know, maybe not a Gucci because that's like high fashion. I don't care about Why that. Why not? I, uh, Things yeah. are, anything's possible in this yeah, world. No, absolutely. You know, yeah. but I think, you know, in order for us to get to that level of like, that I, I I would like as far as the apparel side. In order for us to get to that level, we have to continue to grow in what we're doing for our community. It can't just be a hey, you're rocking our stuff and we love that, and you know we're posting the pictures and we're doing very performative stuff. No, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna really believe and and live down what we're doing. So we're not just doing it for clout. We're not just doing it just to say hey. You know, it's Black History Month. Let's put out some black, green, and red hats. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's Spanish heritage much. Let's put, let's put out some uh, DR, Spain, Puerto Rico flavors. Like, no, let's let's no, let's really live what we say we're about, and let's continue to push for the cha- for for change. Um, and and do that from the foundation, right? So where we're at now, if this is the foundation, right? This is this is this is ground zero. When we get to the 50th floor, I can only imagine where we're gonna be at. Mm. I like that. I like that concept a lot. Thank you, man. Yeah. Now let's touch on the um the other two co um two companies that you founded. You have uh, a Soulman and Black Crown Media. Let's break that down. Yeah. So a Soulman is actually the oldest of the of the three companies. I started a Soulman in twenty seventeen. Um, on like kind of just by myself branching off. And I wanted to create uh, short films, documentaries, and um, things like that. And, I, you know, for, for the most part, I was able to create two short films. One was really bad. The other one was kind of good. Um, <laughs> Honesty. It's fine. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and um, I was able to also start working on a documentary about um, African American or Black American culture. And I say it in that way because how I look at, like, I just say it in that way because just, 
trying to figure out what black culture is and what black American culture is because mm-hmm. I realized like it gets separated. So like one of the, the tagline for it was I'm too black to be African and I'm too American. No, I'm too black to be American and, and I'm too American to be African. So where do I belong? Mm. Right? Um, so that was that was the documentary that we were working on and we're still working on to this day. I was told working on documentaries is a marathon and I was like, oh, whatever. They were right. It is. Um, <laughs> Cause it's a lot of research, right? A lot of research. Um, and you got to match the days with the times. So you got to match the stories. You got to make sure it, things are correct. Yeah. It's not like a, a self autobiography where, you know, you're talking about yourself and you're giving details, but you're actually doing the, the research research. And then also traveling. Right. So like, right. because blackness in New York city is not, is not viewed the same in Denver. It's also not viewed the same in Alabama. It's also not viewed the same in Atlanta or Mississippi, right? It's, it's in the United States is definitely viewed in different ways. Like we might have some similarities, like when it comes to food, but like somebody else's definition of black is different. So it's like the purpose of the documentary was to figure out what is this um, uniformed, you know definition of what our culture is because I felt like so many other people were telling us what it is. And then we were also allowing people to divine, define it in a negative way. Whereas like, you know, if you listen to like, if you carry yourself in a certain way, you were like being told stop acting black or you're being really black. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So a soul man was literally started to create projects around that, like to talk about blackness and to also um, capture black stories in a beautiful way. Right. Like and show that we're um, multidimensional characters. We're not just singular level characters that we're constantly portrayed as Jamal, 25 years old from the Bronx, drug dealer. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not going to talk about the fact that Jamal is like a math wizard and he can like calculate numbers in a split second. Mm-hmm. And the reason that he became a drug dealer because his dad died and, and, you know, his mother is working 20 jobs. So he wants to help. Jamal, That's why it's important to have contacts. Yeah. So like Jamal has so many different layers, but when you leave it up to like mainstream uh, media to portray these characters that we know, many of us know, and we know the depth of who they are, we get this very singular level, super violent, hyper. Superficial. Uh, yeah. Character that is just like, I don't know anybody like that. Right. And um, so I want I, instead of just sitting back and going, you know, I was really inspired by Tyler Perry when he opened up the studio in Atlanta. And it was mm-hmm. just like, I don't want to just sit back and wait for them to build a table and, and them say, hey, you know, you guys, I guess you could bring a chair, you know, like, no, we're going to build a table and we're going to do it at this level as well. Um, but with anything, you need money to create content. You need money to create films. And that's why we started Black Crown Media. Once again, going back to impact. Right. <laughs> everything impact man right it's so very important it was just like hey you need money we need grants and i know so many filmmakers white black asian who are like yo you know getting I've, I've been working on this film for 10 years and i'm still waiting to get a grant to finish it and i was just like man we have all these skills and we're not utilizing it to our best of our ability so that we can finish these films so we started black crowd media so that we could fund films Fun, fun films, and so oh, you're the other, the other one. You're running like a venture capitalist, almost so but you, for video production. Well, okay. for, for for filmmakers, okay, like literally. So like we could run like so. What we did was with Black Crown Media. It's mm-hmm. a digital marketing company. Uh, we focus on uh, 
e-commerce business on an ad side, like running ads for them. And then we also have a video production component as well. Um, for on our highest ticket, we are running, um, we are building marketing and sales systems for attorneys. So everything from paid advertisement to e um, email and SMS marketing, we're doing that for attorneys. We then are building out a grant under that to fund films for Soul Man and for other producers and filmmakers. So literally, we're going out using our skills mm -hmm. to then turn around and produce passion projects for ourselves and others. Okay, so is it is it accurate for me to say that uh, you guys are also distributing as well? So we're not we're not distributing. Um, we would love to. I know that was something that we had spoken about in the beginning, like as far as like, hey, maybe creating a streaming platform um, where we would be able to do that capacity wise and bandwidth wise. It kind of was just something that stayed on the table mm -hmm. and we haven't we haven't digged any further. We spoke with a we uh, let me not say it stayed. It just sat on the table as if we just spoke about it and left it. We actually even went as far as talking to developers for a platform like to, to build out the. Um, the software so that we can create a streaming platform okay so but right now you just do things internally as far as um getting the creating the content um putting the content out uh, but it's not on a streaming platform but yeah. if you had now let, let me ask you this now if you had a, a streaming platform that you can uh, push it out from like let's say a netflix or a damon dash studio or whatever and that would be something that you would be interested in because now you get you get a something you could funnel it through. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, so now, it's, it's like instead of the film just going from you know from production to Vimeo or YouTube, now you you have this ability to say, hey, my my short film, my long my my feature film, my documentary is being streamed on X platform, right? Like. Regardless of what platform it is, I think as a filmmaker, yeah, of course you want to make it to like the Netflix, the Hulu's and the big screen, right? Mm -hmm. um, but just being able to say, hey, I was able to get my film featured on uh, a platform that is not YouTube or Vimeo, which you have complete control over. I think that's incredibly powerful. So if we, if one day, if we have that opportunity to do it, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I, I, uh, to me, I believe streaming is the future anyway. So, um, it, it has been the, the the decade for streaming, and I think it's on. It's only just getting started because people are comfortable viewing things at their own time, right? Yeah. And um, I think that's one of the key advantages that the streaming has that you you're able to watch it whenever you want to watch it. But I think having your own platform, you dictate what comes on and what you put out. And I think that's important. Yeah. So now you you create the content. You um, let's say you have somebody um, filmmakers. They want to come in. They want to. So you basically have a studio where they could come in and work. So right now, no. Okay. So then, how do you get the content from them, or you just create it yourself? 
So what happens? How does a collaboration happen? I'm sorry. Yeah. So what happens often is well, just the benefit of working in in this space for like ten years, you meet so many different people. Mm-hmm. From folks who have ideas for TV shows to folks who have ideas for, and when I say TV shows, I mean whether it's a sitcom, like a single camera sitcom, um, or like I've even had people approach me about reality TV shows. Um, they'll pitch the idea to me. Sometimes it comes like on a one sheet. They'll pitch the idea to me. If I like how it sounds, I'm willing to put like not necessarily um, a monetary investment behind it, but like. Hey, we'll we'll put our equipment behind it. So we'll give you oh, more like a sweat equity. Yes, there we go. Thank you. So okay. like sweat equity um uh investment behind it. So now they get access to our cinema cameras, our microphones, lights, cameras, etc. And then we even come on board. So I would most likely, let's say my guy my guy Corey, shout out to Corey. Uh he's constantly bringing me different ideas. And one of them, I was coming on board just to be the cinematographer, but my company was producing the project, right? So typically, you can come to me, pitch an idea to me, and if I like it, we move forward and I want to hear more. If it's something scripted, I need to read the script. My team needs to read the script. If we like it, then we move forward. Um, and a lot of the times, folks don't just have access to the equipment. I've I if I flip my camera around, you'd see how much equipment I have right now just set up in my living room. And but that's that's my privilege, right? Is that I have access to this equipment. So when I meet filmmakers, young, old, whatever, if they have an idea and I, it sounds great, I'm always down to like help them film it in some type of way or just provide them with the equipment to do it. Okay. And when you when you help with the filming um process of it. What role do you take? Do you take the role of being a director? Do you take the role of uh, the cameraman? What role is it exactly that you take on? So typically, I, I'll ask somebody, what do they presently have, right? So most people are coming to me like, I want to direct this. I wrote it. I want to direct it. I'm like, okay, I don't care, right? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Like, I don't, I don't want to take on that role. Right. One of my favorite things outside of directing is cinematography. So I love designing shots, setting up, uh, designing how a lighting of a scene is going to be. Um, I just love it. Like just being able to capture that image and knowing like, yo, we staged this. Like we put these, when I watch movies, these are the things that I'm watching for. So like I'm watching that this person is wearing a yellow shirt, but the room has green tones. And now there's an orange couch. Like, wow, they stayed in this palette of orange and and yellow. And then they brought in green because it's the opposite spectrum. Like I'm paying attention to all of these things and I truly, truly enjoy it. Um, So I would always uh, ask, hey, if you don't have a cinematographer, I would love to come in in that role. Now, You know, if you if for those who don't know what a cinematographer's job is, it's literally their job to design the shot. The director does not design the shot. He tell he or she tells the story. The cinematographer will design the shot. What's in frame? What's not in frame? What's out of frame that you don't notice that they're pitting there because it feels more lifelike, right? You ever watch a movie and go, why is there so many damn lights on? Yeah. yeah. That's intentional. Right, like those, they mm. pra- the purpose of those practicals is to make you feel like you're in somebody's house and you're part of that scene. Right, um, that is the job of a cinematographer is to bring that visual side of life to life. Mm-hmm. The job of the director is to bring the words to life, make the characters feel real. 
But the job of the cinematographer is to make the visual feel lifelike and you should be in this moment, right? Choosing certain lighting colors, like I love that part of it. So I always ask, hey, if you don't have a cinematographer, I'm down for that, right? <laughs> that, like if, to be honest, and I'm probably giving up the cheat code, it's a lot more fun than being a director because the director has to deal with everybody else, actors included. Cinematographers dealing with the lighting, the lights and set design <laughs> and the camera and a camera team. I, I watch a lot of movies and I'm glad you broke that down, right? Because now I'm going to go back and, and really analyze things. Um, but I do watch a lot of movies and <clears throat> there's two parts. I was watching um, and I, re- I seldomly uh, watch like episodes because I get hooked on. So I try not to get knee deep into an episode uh, type of series because then I'm going to go all the way to the season ending. And so I try not to get knee deep into that because I don't want to get caught up, but I was watching um, shield the other night, right? Old, old thing. I said, like, you know what? Let me put it on. And once again, I get hooked and, but I liked the way there were, there was a, there was a part in the film and they did this too in um, Avengers one where they had the camera was constantly rotating in and out as the person is talking, but it's bouncing off of people. Like say, let's when one character is over here, the camera is going underneath and around, and the, immediately when the other one is speaking, it just like gravitates to the side and then circles back around. Who handles that part? So the cinematographer designs the shot. It's the camera operator who's actually doing it. So explain to me how that conversation happens. Yeah. So it starts from the director. The director will come and go, hey, this scene, I just love the way that it flows. And I feel like we should do it all in one take. Right? Mm -hmm. So then from there, the cinematographer has to design the room so that it can be filmed in one take. So that the uh, camera operator, whether it's one, two, maybe three operators working on that one scene, they can pass the camera off to each other at different stages. Now, there is another way of doing it. Let's say you're on a low-budget film. You only have one camera operator, but your camera operator also happens to be a cinematographer, is that a lot of the times when the camera goes into somebody's black cloth, black shirt, and then comes out, and now you're seeing somebody's black hair, the moment that it went into that person's shirt, there was a cut made. So that now when they're coming out of the hair, that's a whole new cut. Now, so it could be done. So it's done in two ways. So now the other way is bringing in the editor. So now it's the director, the cinematographer, the camera operator, the editor, right? And then um, the first way that I was talking about was the director, cinematographer, um, camera operator, and and, and several camera operators who are, they're uh, not staging. Uh, What's the term I'm looking for? Choreographed. They're choreographing the scene. So it's like, hey, when you get to the pool, hand the camera over to Stanley. Stanley, when you get out the pool, you're going to hand the camera to Jamal. Jamal, when you get over here, you're going to pass this up onto a dolly, and then a dolly is going to move up. And then, Dre, you got to make sure you're up there in time to grab the um, the camera because now you're going to walk it off and take us into another part of the scene. Well, if you ever get a chance, watch the behind the scenes of the – straight out of Compton pool party and everything that I just said happens in that pool party scene. Man, it looks like a dance that's going on. That's a lot of, you got to, so 
in other words, you ha- you have to n- not only you have to trust the person, right? Mm-hmm. You got to trust the the next cameraman that's going to pass it along to the next cameraman, and then you got to also trust the whoever's um, navigating or directing. You have to trust their vision too. Yep. Because I've I've seen movies where and and I am guilty of watching a movie towards the end, even though I know it's trash. Because for some reason, I feel like, okay, in my mind, I'm hoping it's getting better because it would have a great storyline. But the way it was produced or the way it was filmed wasn't the best quality. Mm -hmm. And you're hoping that it's 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 getting better because the the storyline is so great Mm -hmm. and or but the actor cannot deliver. But sometimes the actors doing their best because you can see that they can but it's just the whole production of it is not the the best quality and yeah. so you you definitely have to trust the the director's vision to know where they're going with it and then you have to tr- I, I guess what i'm trying to say is that there's a whole lot of trust that's needed to film certain things yeah most most production teams have worked with each other for years mm. you know like uh Donald Glover uses the same cinematographer for all of his stuff. I believe his name is Hiro. He's a Japanese brother. Uses him for everything. <laughs> right, music videos, uh, short films, feature films. He's called if Donald is producing it, if his company's producing it, that's who he's hiring. Because he he they speak each other's language. And that's what's really important is that you're able to speak each other's language and work together in such a magnificent way. Whereas I can say, man, I just want to, I know what you want. Let's go. Boom. Throw the camera on your shoulder and let's film it. And then you're ready to go. It's not like filmmaking is like one of the best sports ever, but where everybody listens to the coach and the coach is the director. Everybody is on board and believe in a coach. There's nobody on set who was just like, oh, my God, this is the worst director ever. No, they're like, yo, he's a genius. She's a genius. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> like, <laughs> when they call me, I come running. Right. Like um, now, I'm, you know what? Let me walk that back because it's not like that with all cases. There are some cases where people are like, man, they paying. <laughs> right. They're paying. True, true. When, you, when you have teams that have been working together for years, they mm-hmm. believe in each other. They believe in each other and they continue to show up for each other. I think right. a great example of this, and they do it on a level where they're not actually making a lot of money. Um, there's this company, uh, if you don't mind me plugging somebody else. Like, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, they're, they're called Film Riot. And I think anybody watching this, whoever wants to learn video or film or production editing, definitely check them out. They're based out of Texas, but they have been working together since like, 2013 14 and you literally watch um the host of the show you watch his sister grow up throughout the entire like years that they've been on it from mm-hmm. being a little um starky some uh not starky um just her, his sister was like a little smart ass right <laughs> and now she's a grown-up <laughs> like and she's still a smart ass but the fact <laughs> that, you know like you you get to see her grow from this period it's almost like watching full house all over again but you're watching it with filmmakers and seeing that they always work together they're constantly working together and that's 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 what's really important in a space like this is having a high level of communication and right. even higher level of understanding of each other so now when you break it down 
Cause you could tell that you have the passion for it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, this is what you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And, and I get, and I get a lot entrepreneurs. We, we enjoy having creating multiple businesses. Mm-hmm. We like to start businesses. We like to, um, we like to build things. Right. And we like to see the outcome of certain things. Mm-hmm. There's some entrepreneurs are good starters, but not great closers. Right. And there's vice versa. There's some that are, they're not the best starters of the company, but man, they could run an operation. They, they could tell you X, X, Y, and Z, yeah. but you got to know which style or which type you are, because not everyone has those type of, uh, not everyone is gifted. There are some, there's, there's some unicorns out there that's completely gifted where they can do both. They can start and finish a company out. They have the exit plan. They have everything structured and ready. Mm-hmm. Now, I know what you're trying to do with the nine brand. What is it that you the ultimate goal that you're trying to do with this uh, media company? Yeah. So I can tell you with Black Crown, and they get mad at me whenever I say this, but my goal with Black Crown is in the next 10 years to leave it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my goal is in the next 10 years to leave Black Crown. So you Crown. got your exit plan already? Yeah, yeah. I already have an exit plan. Okay. Uh, I'm 10 years in and I'm I'm ready to step down. Right now, as far as like titles, I am like the CEO of it. Um, but like I'm looking to step down in the next 10 years and have like that next young person in their 20s and they in their early 30s step in and take the marketing company to the next level. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the old head that's still trying to hold on to his glory and say, Man, I understand this world, you know, like no. Nah, <laughs> let the next young fella come in and then me focus solely on a soul man. Um, when it comes to a soul man productions, man, I'm trying to reach Tyler Perry levels. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> right. I want to reach Tyler Perry levels. I want to reach Spike Lee levels. I want to, I want to have that kind of accolade when it comes to that space. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I definitely like, I'm with, with, with all of these. And it's, it's interesting because when you mention entrepreneurship, I actually don't consider myself to be an entrepreneur. I'm, okay. just, I'm a business owner. I'm on my way a to. Lot, I'm, on, I'm on my way to entrepreneurship. Yeah. A lot of people don't know the difference, though. They don't, right? Yeah. And for a while, I was just a freelancer. And then before that, I was just a guy who had a camera. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, it's levels, and I'm not trying to skip a level. I'm trying to learn every way. You know, right now I'm, I'm developing relationships so that I can have a mentors, right? Like, and and not just in production, but in business. So I'm not at a level where I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I think I'm a pretty decent starter. I think I'm a pretty decent um, runner of a company, but I have so much room to get better. So mm-hmm. at some point in time, I'll definitely be able to decide or identify what type of entrepreneur that I am, whereas I'm a terrible starter, but I'm a great finisher, or I, uh, I'm a great starter and a terrible finisher, right? And that will help me, that will help me determine my trajectory in this space. But right now I'm, I'm just, you know, someone who's figuring these things out and, and reaching out to those, whether they're younger than me or older than me that have, but have great, have a greater tenure in this space and asking for help. You know, I'm wanting to learn, you know, taking a moment like this, just to sit back and be the quiet person in the room and observe, Hey, what made you, what made you want to make that? I listened to a podcast with a 14 from a 14 year old who retired his mother. Yeah. You know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I just I sat through it. He's 14. Yeah. People are like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what can you learn from a 14-year-old? Everything. 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 Yeah. Every 
I, I don't think mentorship doesn't have an age. Yeah. I've always said that mentorship doesn't have an age because somebody may know something. I'm pretty sure everybody knows something that you don't know. Exactly. Everybody. Yeah. Exactly. There's, there's no one that's on an island of their own that knows everything. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows. Now you have to decide whether this person is, is a credible person for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that's not the person that's going to add value into my life. But that doesn't mean that they can't add value to somebody else's life or vice versa. But, but yeah, go ahead. I, I think I think the other thing, too, when we when we look at entrepreneurship, right, like and even for someone who's watching, it's like, man, what's the difference? Business ownership, entrepreneurship is the same thing. Well, think about the mom and pop shop. Right. And you go, you know. Joe, who owns the mom and pop shop, this is a random person, guys. I'm just making up somebody random. Joe has owned his mom and he's owned this hardware store for the last 40 years and he's never gone on vacation. That means Joe is a business owner, mm-hmm. right? And then he, at the same time, he's a business employee, right? Because he can't go on vacation. But as unless an he, unless, unless he, unless he hires some people, unless his business is generating enough where he can disappear. But most of those business, those type of businesses, there's no real leverage because you're stuck in one place, right? Yep. There's unless you yep. hire and you start growing and you you scale it to the point where you could add uh, more employees, more staff in, and then that way you can you could have a you know exit strategy or you can vacation like you said. Yep. But till then, you you're in one location, and that's why I never understood. I'm gonna get back to you so you could break down the entrepreneur part. But that's why I didn't never understood why. Um, I, I always thought that running, owning a liquor store was a great business, but that's only if you have other businesses where you can, you can allocate one person to be there to run it. Yep. But if you're the one that's running it, then you're just working at a nine to five that you own. But yep. go ahead. No, that, but that's perfect. Right. Cause you just, you just smacked it right on the head. Entrepreneurs are not doing fulfillment. <laughs> they're not <laughs> they're like hey i have this other business they have management teams um damn i can't remember this woman's name she's down in atlanta she is a, a business partner's two chains she has like five different restaurants that she does not like she does not manage at all she was like actually the people on the team know that she owns the business but she has managers for her managers so that she never has to like put out fires mm-hmm she walks into the business. People are seeing her picture all over the stuff, and they come in and ask her, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Go ask this person. They handle that." But that's when you're making. That's when you're making money because that's when it's called uh, residual income. Because now, the money's coming in while you're sleeping, while you out somewhere, while you're showering. The money's coming in. You're not working hard for that money. That mon- the money's actually working by itself to generate more money to come in and that's the residual part of it but if you're still if you're still in fulfillment like and like you know i know people who get staff and then still do all of the damn work Mm. no that's not the way to do it (laughs) like that's because you know what it is they don't know how to delegate yeah and here's i ask people often and i go um are you do you believe in yourself? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you believe in yourself? I'm like, yeah, I believe in myself. So then why do you have a staff? Oh, because, you know, I need to help. So then you don't believe in yourself enough to train them to be just as good as you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't ever see no NBA coach. Like, imagine Steve Kerr going, Steph, just give me the ball. I'll shoot the, I'll shoot the three. No, Steve, you're 
60 something years old you had <laughs> let me let me go you know that's right. what we're doing where our job is to train this next wave of people right so that you can free so that you can then buy back your time and you can do other things that can potentially grow your business mm-hmm. i love doing stuff like this right i absolutely love being on podcasts and coming to speak um speak on uh i'm doing a, a speaking at a school in cincinnati like virtually in a couple of days right like i love doing those things right because it brings more attention to me and then my company and then my company benefits from these things. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I meet with people, I'm like, hey, you should do more of this. It benefits you just as well as sitting on social media, even more, right? Because you're organically bringing people into your business. Oh, I don't have the time. Why? Because you're still doing fulfillment. It's true. You like and like I, I stress this and I'm st- I, of course I'm still young in this space and I get it I haven't amassed a million dollars and I think when people hear me say oh yeah I still live in the Bronx they're like oh you must be poor no, no I still live in the Bronx but it's, it doesn't mean anything what I'm what I'm trying to tell you is I've studied this business I don't study Jay Z I studied Damon Dash mm-hmm. you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying like mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't study Steve Jobs I studied the guy who bought Apple from him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm studying the guys that and the gals that y'all don't pay attention to mm-hmm. that sit in the background, that wear ugly suits, that come off the rack, that nobody is really paying attention to, have no strong social media following. But I want to know who they are. My son's mother bought me a book a long time ago, and it's a book of entrepreneurs, right? But it wasn't the ones that we know. <laughs> yeah. And I was so mad that I didn't read it. But I, it was later on because I was mad. I, I wanted something else. It was Christmas. I was young. <laughs> 23. <laughs> I wanted something else. And I got this book instead. And, you know, one day I found myself looking for it and I realized I lost it and never realized I lost it. Wow. Right. And I, I so much value because it was the story, their stories, how they made their first million dollars, their first billion dollars. Mm-hmm. How, when they reached their first a mass. Uh, uh, nine figures. <laughs> like what? Like, I have this. I have access to this information, right? But a lot of them, and when I meet so many people who run six-figure agencies, seven-figure agencies, the number one thing they told me was the greatest thing they ever did was buy back their time by hiring people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that was the greatest thing they ever did. So. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing I stress with people is like, hey, you are taking on all of this work because you think that you need to be the one to fulfill it. You don't. That is your Mm -hmm. ego telling you that you need to be the one to fulfill it. That is fear telling you that the person that you're hiring will not do a good job. What you don't realize is that nobody don't put out anything until you approve it. Right. Right. So if you're so concerned that it's not going to be good enough, let them do it. And then you tell them to fix it. Yeah. Or but, you may have the, the and I say that a lot. And if you hear me speak, um, it's important to have the right team members because mm-hmm. even even if even let's say you're 100 percent right about the fulfillment part. But let's say you, you there has to be a point where you realize this person may not be the one capable of doing it. And then that's when you're just going to have to move them in a different seat or. Um, remove them period from the, because that may not be their passion. That may not be something that they want to do. Yeah. You know, that, that even goes as far as even, even with partnerships. Yeah. You, you establish a part. Hey, Hey, this not, this not working out. I get it though. I, I love you. This isn't working though. Right. You know, like I think we'll, we'll sever this partnership and we'll move forward. Um, 
so it's not even just with employees. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it doesn't even work out with your co-founders, right? Mm-hmm. It's like knowing, hey, that's okay. It's going to be okay. Like now you have to make the decision of what to do next and how to move forward. Um, but don't allow it all to fall on you. Like I think that was that was one of the things that I struggled with the most at one mm-hmm. point until I started to like challenge people, like, hey, why do you have this role? Like I get you you were awarded this role. How are you earning this role every single day? How right. are you bringing your best? I told right. you when you when you when you met me, I have a very I have like a Kobe mentality. So you can only imagine what I'm thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like if you're not if you're not really ready to step through the fire and, and, and dance with the queen of dragons, get the hell out of my way and let me find somebody else who is. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't wake up every day to be average. No, I don't think <laughs> the funny part is I, nobody does, but they don't realize that they are doing it. My, you know, interesting. So like this, this past weekend, uh, my, my son put together a family Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how like trained I have my family, man. He puts together this, this family Olympics and we're all like, all right, cool. What do we, what do we get if we win? And he was like, you know, just the credibility that you win. And we was like, nah, we don't want to play. <laughs> Why? Because we would get a participationship award. Yeah, there's no incent- there's no real incentive there. <laughs> the incentive came back, everybody was all in. Yo, let's go. Come on. Yeah. But before that, when there was no incentive, what I'm showing up just to say I did it? No, no, no. Get out mm, of it. Waste what? of energy and waste of time. Yeah. You know, I won, by the way, if anybody was wondering, I won the whole Olympic family Olympics. Uh, once again, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> saying it'll be ready for the world, you know? So, and I trash talk. I got the Kevin Garnett trash talk locked down. That's what <laughs> I like there, man. <laughs> I remember, um, and I, I'm glad you said that because I trash talk my nieces and nephew mm-hmm. into a game of basketball. And I got them so pumped that we went out there in the rain and we was balling. Mm-hmm. And they ball they hard out. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm not falling, man. I'm not hurting myself. <laughs> but I like the fact that they took on the challenge and they 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 came with it. And so sometimes you you really have to find ways to like poke the bear mm-hmm. just to get them like prepared. Like, okay, somebody else may challenge you. Don't think that just because we family, I can't trash talk you, like, or I can't, you know deliver some you know some ass whooping but exactly you got to let them know quietly like hey it could happen it could happen any day mm-hmm. but I, I, you got to so, prepare them yeah it was so real my four-year-old was standing next to his brother as like we had to do like this thing with shooting a ball through a hoop and he was like my four-year-old is standing next to him going you trash you trash you try you are so trash at this game i was like let's go get it, get it on. <laughs> You know, like, like you're four years old and you come with that kind of energy. They, they, oh man, it's over when you get to high school. There's nobody's gonna be able to stop him. That's, <laughs> but you, you, that's that's what you want, though. That's yeah. what you want. But yeah. you also want to have that growth mindset to let them know that, hey, I'm good now, but I could get better. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm only, I'm only starting. Like, uh, you know, this is a. At 100%, you got to always look at it like, you know, I'm not at 100. 
I'm at a quarter or I'm at, you know, 50%, whatever the case may be. But you have to remind your ego and remind yourself like, hey, there's still a lot of room to grow. Absolutely. And we're just getting started. Yeah. No, but what you said is so true, man. But I'm glad we got a chance to connect today. It was yeah. awesome. It was great. Back on um, one thing I want I would like to circle back on is when you broke it down when you said, you know, um, working on a documentary about what is black. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people think that you're too black. What, you, what was the quote you said? You're too uh, black to be too black to be American and I'm too American to be uh, African. So African-American. Yeah. And a, a lot of us don't realize how much those words impact impact us. Like it's not necessarily what people think of us, but how much it impacts us within the the circumference of each other. Mm-hmm. And I remember because uh, I, I I was raised in East New York, um, Brooklyn, and uh, this guy's like a brother to me. We, he's actually a brother to to me, and he was in Bronzeville, and we you know we we right next door to each other. And it wasn't until we got a lot older, he said something to me that resonated deep. It stayed with me. It stayed me stay with me so much that I wanted to make a difference because he said, "You're one of us, but you're not one of us." And I, I couldn't understand what the hell does that mean. And I, and I got it later on. Like, just because you're raised in the hood, right? A lot of people have this misconception of uh, it's like a, it's like having a difference between a thug and a street guy. Yes. Right. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, they're from the same areas. Yep, <laughs> completely different. Yep. Right? So when he said that, I, you know, at first I didn't understand, but then I got it. Like you're one of us, but you're not one of us. So it's mm-hmm. like even though you're raised in the hood, there's different type of people that's um, in in those neighborhoods yep. and different you know breeds of animals that's in that neighborhood. But then it impacts us because we look at each other differently. Yes. You know, we look at each other like, yeah, you're one of us, but you're not really one of us. And that's how the mindset that's been programmed where it's a divide and conquer is like, all right, I'm going to instill this in you where, you know, my my favorite analogy when people say like, you know, uh, you're light skin, you're brown skin. And I always used to say, what do you put down when you put down in your driver's license? Like when they, when you fill out an application, do you put light skin? Do you put brown skin? Do you put dark? Like, I don't understand it. Because clearly for me, when you put down on an application or you put down on a, um, or anything, you just have one category, which is black, right? And then they have the Caribbean things that they have going on. But but they always says black, Africa, African-American, whatever the case may be. So this divide and conquer thing that they instilled in us, it only it's only hurting us. And it seems like we're, yeah, they looked at, you know, overall, we're all we're all looked at as one mm-hmm. through other eyes. Yes. But within us, mm-hmm. we look at each other as different. As different. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's, I never understood that. Yeah. Like I never, so I'm, I'm glad you're coming out with that documentary. I think it's going to have so, such an impact on people. So that way we have to understand that at the end of the day, we're still one, you yeah. know, yeah, we gotta have we have to have that uncomfortable conversation. I think we spend too much time talk about um talking about colorism, and when when I mean it's still a conversation that needs to happen, right? But there also we also need to talk about like 
the the removal of of like this whole thing i'm pulling your black card or you uh, you, your black card is revoked or you're not black enough like what the hell does that mean like why do we keep doing that like but you know and it also has made other people comfortable with saying it like people have told me that they've had white friends tell them like oh i'm more black than you because they listen to a lot to a lot of 50. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, <laughs> like when you see the documentary, it's gonna blow your mind. Like, somebody told you that? Like, yeah. Like, I because I don't listen to Fifty, I wasn't black enough, and this is coming from a white dude, right? Like, but when you, when we when we doing when these things are happening publicly, it gives people it makes people comfortable to do it to us, in our, um to our face. So like, yeah. Yeah. there has to be a deeper conversation around. Uh, what our culture is. I know a lot of people have tried to go out and do it on their own and identify mm. what black culture is. You know, this, this is the reason why we have a holiday such as Kwanzaa. You know, it was, it was an initiative that had a nice following, but I'm not sure if it has the support that it used to have when, uh, um, when it first started, you know, because it was done on its own, right? We have to have a conversation around like, what is religion to black people? What religions do belong to us? What is ours like, and and what is our language? You know, so many things have been taken from us. Like we kind of start something and it becomes everybody's, right? Like hip hop, oh, it's everybody's. Blues, it's everybody's. Afrobeat, everybody's. What's ours, right? Like, mm. you know, like soul food. Everybody eats soul food if you're from the South. That's a lot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like, you know right. what 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 truly belongs to us let's have this really uncomfortable conversation um interestingly enough if you're black and you're from denver you love chili not chili um green uh it's a green sauce like this green sauce like it's a, it's a tex-mex they love yeah, tex-mex, yeah. right so it's like wow i didn't know that right so when when this documentary comes it's gonna open up a lot of people's eyes to realize like you know if there was a rainbow for blackness it would be forever going right and mm. But there's so many, there's so many things that we do universally. There's so many things that we say universally that belong to us. We just don't think we all say it or we just don't think we all do it. Um, I love mm-hmm. the thing that you said about there's a difference between being a street dude and a thug. I definitely was the street dude while all of my friends would have <laughs> like the thugs and the <laughs> Um, but you know, like even with that, like we all there's certain things that we understand. Like you know, the street dude knows just as much as a thug. Like that's a cop car when he sees an Impala that's all dark, right? With hubcaps, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you know, like a street dude knows. I like just, yeah. something fishy is going on. Like, <laughs> I can't like, wait for the documentary to come out. I'm you. I'm so excited to to view it. Uh, I like what you're doing with the Nine brand. Thank you, thank I you. Think it's dope, man. Um, and hey, man, I'm just, I'm just grateful you were able to come on this show. Um, I look forward to speaking to you again. Just let them know where they can reach you at. Definitely. Thank you. And thank you for having me as a guest. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram because I really only use that at Dre underscore Manning. That's D-R-E underscore M-A-N-N-I-N-G. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where you can find everything from me. I don't really use Twitter and I don't accept people on Facebook. <laughs> so, so yeah um definitely man thank you so much for having me thank you for extending this this offer out to me um you you didn't know this but when you reached out to me it was actually my birthday the same day that you reached out to me oh man happy belated thank you thank you i was like damn this is a great birthday gift so um <laughs> i was actually celebrating my wife um 
but yeah, man, thank you so much for this opportunity to come on here, tell 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 my story, tell the story of the nine brand, and um, really continue to push this effort and um, to 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 make impact.